0: Welcome to the Supply Chain Pioneers Podcast, where we highlight industry leaders on the forefront of innovation and technology in planning, procurement, and logistics. Hosted by your supply chain pro to know, Ulf Venn.
1: When I was in Los Angeles, went out for dinner and spent time with a friend who talked to me about this issue of modern day slavery, human trafficking. There were 10 of us that helped set up Hope for Justice back in the beginning. I got to name the organization and my wife and I put our house on the line. In our first year of rescue, we uncovered 33 Hungarian individuals. We started realizing that there were major opportunities for us to help rescue individuals from the supply chains of businesses.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Supply Chain Pioneers. And with me today, I have Tim Nelson, CEO of Hope for Justice and Slave Free Alliance. Welcome, Tim.
1: Hi, good to see
0: you. As always, let's start with a classic. Can you tell us a little bit about your career history, maybe touch a little bit about supply chain and then also how you ended up being a part of Hope for Justice and Slave Free Alliance?
1: Yeah, so just to give everyone a bit of my background, as you can probably tell, I come from Northern Ireland. I went to university to study technology at university. When I was at the desire level of what I would do in my life, I was looking and saying, how could I utilize this degree? And I saw that I could utilize it through moving into stockbroking. So I had a vision that I wanted to get and be a stockbroker. But being offered the jobs to move to London or New York, I decided that I would stay and get involved in banking. And with With that vision of banking, I ended up being a manager and a senior manager for a bank, uh, looking and specializing in in various businesses and helping what I would say is medium-sized businesses to develop and expand. When I moved into consulting, off the back of having that role, one of my previous customers invited me to sit as an advisor to an offshore investment trust in the States when I was in Los Angeles. Went out for dinner and spent time with a friend who talked to me about this issue. And it was off the back of that, finding out about this issue, finding out about the problems that exist in the world that led me to wanting to get involved in the issue of modern day slavery, human trafficking. As I did when I came back to the UK, I couldn't quite shake it. Um, I spoke to pretty much everybody I knew about it. A friend of mine, Chris, who was uh, running a car dealership group in the UK, introduced me to four individuals who themselves were thinking about an event they might hold to talk about this issue. I'd had experience in putting on events and operationally looking at how we could set things up. And off the back of it, there were 10 of us that helped set up Hope for Justice back in the beginning. I got to name the organization and my wife and I put our house on the line to set up that first event. Ultimately, it took quite a lot of heavy lifting that first year, but we managed to gather 5,884 people together to launch Hope for Justice. Along that journey, we started realizing that there were major opportunities for us to help rescue individuals from the supply chains of businesses, not just in the UK, but across the world. And actually, in our first year of rescuing individuals, we we uncovered 33 Hungarian individuals in a business called Posey Sleep that were making beds for two of the largest retailers in the UK. And it was really at that point we realized that there is a real problem that we need to look at within business and within supply chains.
0: So coming from that background and your first touch points with the world of supply chain management not being maybe as positive, I know you have traveled the world and talked to supply chain leaders. What is your perception of supply chains now?
1: Yeah, I think supply chains are very complex. And obviously for anyone who's been in it, They realize that the complexity, I think for a lot of people who move into that space, they're given the mandate of driving down costs, trying to ensure the continuity of supply, trying to make sure that the complexities are mitigated when we see the risks to those supply chains. So as I've met individuals, I've realized more about how many things sit within the ecosystem of supply chain and how difficult it is for people to naturally make easy steps to to address this issue i've met a lot of individuals who are very passionate about the work that they do and actually very proud of the impact that they can bring when they hit a complexity that something isn't going to be able to make a supply chain based on time of delivery or there's a problem like we saw with the evergreen shipping container blocking and that adding many many more weeks those supply chain leaders are very resilient. They act very quickly to try and find resolutions to the problems that they they face. So as I meet individuals, I've been impressed by the individuals themselves, the level of calibre and understanding they have with the work that they're doing. But I've also really, really been amazed at how complex the issue is that they're having to deal with and where modern day slavery exploitation can occur. I've been I've been aware of how difficult it is for individuals to address this issue.
0: That leads me to my next question, because they're multinational companies and they all know and acknowledge that supply chains are complex and they have to tackle forced labor and slavery. It's a big issue and nobody wants that in their supply chain, right? It's a brand risk as well. But when you started, how was the reception then versus how it is right now?
1: I think when we started at the beginning, even police forces didn't really understand what this issue was and the scale of it. I think before we started rescuing in the UK, there were 88 individuals that were rescued over an 18 month period under an operation called Pentameter One. To put it in context, last year, that same system, the national referral mechanism that they have in the UK, the NRM, had nearly 17,000 individuals identified and brought into it. who were suspected victims of of modern-day slavery. So there's a real sense that in the last 15 years, there has been a light that has been shone on this issue. But if I was to speak more broadly, that's not everywhere. And that's not across every organisation and certainly not across every business. So initially, when we were starting to present this problem to people, it was almost like disbelief. You know, people have been paying a fair wage or they have been doing a fair job, they thought, and to be presented with the problem and the ownership of that problem sitting with them created these extra complexities for them. So as we now sit forward, I, I would say we've come a little way to addressing this problem, but we've got a heck of a longer way to go.
0: One of the core centerpiece of the way we have to go is Free Slave Alliance that you founded in 2018. And now you also provide services to global corporations and companies in general, So what was the reason starting that?
1: Yeah, so we had a case, um, our teams in the UK, we were employing former senior police officers and and individuals who had investigative capability experience to look for cases and develop that intelligence and try and find victims. And we had an investigative hub in the West Midlands area of the UK. And through that hub, we had trained a, a large number of individuals who would be on the front line, NGOs, local government workers, police, and others. And we were presented with two individuals who had been found by an organisation that we trained. Off the back of those two individuals, we developed that intelligence and found a further 51 individuals. By the time it came to court, there were over 400 individuals that were identified in a case that became known as Operation Fort. Those were individuals that had been brought into the UK that were working within the supply chains of major multinational businesses. So they were working in agricultural settings, they were working in manufacturing settings, but most of those businesses hadn't even understood what the issue was. And when they were presented with this, these individuals and what what had happened to them, they were shocked. And a lot of those businesses were asking us, can you help us? And at that time, we were almost treating every case bespokely. When a business approached us, we would look for all of the information and look to try and provide help and support where they needed it. But we worked with Accenture. They did their first piece of pro bono work in the UK to help us. And we helped develop Slave Free Alliance as a product that businesses could work with. The alliance itself allowed for people to join, to be a member, and through that membership access services that could really help and support them. One of those key things that we do is a gap analysis for businesses, which helps give them a real sense of where the problems are within their supply chain. Because we're an NGO, we want to actually see an end to this. So it's not all about the money from our perspective. It's about how we can try and help them the most. So quite often we would identify a problem that might exist and we ask the business, do you want to deal with this internally or is this something we can help you with? And if they want to help and work internally, that's absolutely amazing. Or if they need help, that's also amazing. It's our ability to ask and help where they need the help the most that really matters.
0: Now Slave Free Alliance is working with multinational companies and looking for a pragmatic solution as you just highlighted. But how can companies get started with that? Because I feel there's a lot of need for that in the market. And maybe not everybody knows about how to get in touch with you and how to start working on it.
1: Yeah. So the first thing I would say is most companies are overwhelmed with the issue and they kind of almost bury their head in the sand to try and avoid the conversation or try and kick the can further down the road to give you another analogy. For most companies, it's taking small steps in the right direction. So I would say if anybody's interested in looking to try and take this forward, please reach out to me directly on LinkedIn myself, Tim Nelson, or feel free to go to slavefreealliance.org because. By doing that, we can help you, even if it's just having a conversation about the issues and complexities that you're dealing with, we can be able to help you on those steps that you want to take on that journey. But please, if you're thinking this is something that you might be interested in, please don't avoid the conversation. Don't try and, you know, kind of sidestep the issue. Let's try and deal with it head on and help you to the best of our ability.
0: And I think there are good reasons for this, right? Not only for Doing good in the world, which every supply chain employee naturally probably wants to do, but also from a value perspective for the company, right? A brand risk like this is immense. And while people have glossed over that in maybe the 90s and even the early 2000s with social media being so prominent, these slip ups are going to severely cause brand damages and especially in the apparel industry that can be... Yeah, an end to to a company, actually. So I would, I would encourage everybody to look into that. I would do
1: too. I think the reality is these stories, as they pop up, are going to bring reputational damage. Just yesterday, I was seeing that there was a massive story with regards to Cargill, one of the largest companies in the world, and their chocolate production, and them being fined off the back of forced labor within their chocolate production. And we're going to see that reputational damage impact those businesses, it'll affect their share price, it'll affect their ability to recruit and retain staff, and it will also affect those individuals who are looking at the products and services that they deliver about whether they want to purchase them from those companies.
0: I have a daughter in an age that kind of is looking for a job very soon, and I talked to a lot of her friends as well, and I can confirm that new generation definitely is, is more aware when it comes to companies they work for and what they exactly want to work for and which companies they don't want to work for. So I think everybody's doing the research and it's important from a future outlook in acquiring the right talent to be sure to have a better conscious as a company, right? So sustainability value to the business, but also value to the future outlook of acquiring talents for sure. You're doing this for 15 years. I think you're wildly successful, but if you look at what was uncovered versus what was achieved, do you think we're going in a positive trend when it comes to human slavery or are we still trying to figure it out how to really deal with the issue?
1: It's a really difficult question because I think what we've seen in the last 15 years is almost like we have woken people up to the problem. And if I was to say what has been the most positive over the last 15 years of what I've seen is that there has been that shaking and that waking of the individuals to highlight the problem. We have a long way to go to address the problem in terms of how complex it is and how endemic it is in certain circumstances. You know, we, we know that there are areas and issues with state-sponsored issues of of exploitation and modern day slavery but i i think you know there, there's that bit within me that goes you know for the people that we've been able to help and that are helped through all individuals who are working in this issue their life has been forever changed and therefore i can't ever say that i'm not thankful and grateful for everything that we've been able to achieve but i am a, i'm aware of how enormous this task is It it can sometimes feel like you're standing in a river trying to stop a river rushing past you. The reality is that we need to, we almost need to change the flow of the river in itself and and turn back the tide. And the only way to do that is when more and more individuals are willing to pick up their responsibility. I I use this phrase that, that most people need to get off their blessed assurance and actually do something and be willing to challenge the status quo. Because in a supply chain world, it's very easy to go with the flow. If things are working, if if delivery times are achieved, if price and quality is good, you know, if, if, if your boss isn't giving you much stick for, for what's happening at this moment in time, it can be very appealing to, to not do anything. But actually to probe further, to find out where the problems are, to find the solutions to those issues requires a certain level of discomfort. And I think for us to achieve a world free from slavery, it's going to need a lot of people to be uncomfortable for a short period of time to help us to achieve that mission.
0: So there are two things I want to add here. The first is obviously everybody who listens to this podcast and everybody else is a consumer, right? So you have a direct way of impacting it as well, not only as a supply chain professional, but also as a consumer by maybe acquiring product that do the utmost of avoiding forced labor. And there are brands like Patagonia and others that are really working on that and maybe don't produce in far off countries, but more in Portugal, where there are good labor laws. So that's the first one. But the second one, what we also will need to make sure that you can work on this issue in a supply chain environment is regulation, right? We need the hand forced of supply chains. And we have seen recently some new regulations popping up, especially now the EU supply chain law is coming as well. Do you feel the new laws that are emerging, are they a good vehicle for your cause?
1: Yeah, I mean, you pinpointed it. Ultimately, legacy is made in in legislation. The movement itself needs legislation to change, regulations change, and then we need enforcement. Ultimately, we we have seen, even going back to Governor Schwarzenegger in California and the Transparency and Supply Chain Act that he brought out, that really was the first domino to fall. And then with the Modern Slavery Bill in, in 2015 in the UK, we saw the adaptation of the Human Rights Bill in Norway in 2017 building up to where the EU are and Germany are now with their transparency act coming through and and actually the the extra regulation that brings upon business. It was enacted in this last year and and brings with it for German supply chains, the threat of a 2% global turnover fine for any company that's complicit or compliant. We're now starting to see even a couple of weeks ago, there was an article around South Korea now looking at new legislation and adoption of new legislation. And if that is brought through that'll be the first asian country to look to try and address this issue and again another domino required i think we've been working very hard i was in dc last month and we convened 42 of the largest anti-trafficking organizations on legislation to sit down with congress and work on what are the areas that we need to all work together to see an end to this and you see a real willingness from organizations not to work as competitors but actually to work as team to try and address this issue. So I think what we've seen so far are good legislation coming through. That legislation is now starting to get teeth and hold companies to account. So the German legislation is probably the best example of that. But I think you're going to see uh, even more dominoes fall in that space. You're going to see legislation from country to country across the areas that the OSCE work in. That's the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. There are 57 governments and all of those governments, 26 are proposing new supply chain regulation for modern day slavery. So it's not that we're going to see less of it. We're going to see a quickening of pace in legislation and companies are going to have to play catch up to bring themselves to be in line or they could face themselves having some very big fines themselves or held accountable for fines that are brought to companies that they are within the supply chains of. So I would just encourage everybody in light of the legislative changes to be well aware of what that will mean as requirements, because there is the carrot of wanting to do the right thing for the right reasons. But the stick of legislation is the thing that will probably move most companies to wanting to be more compliant.
0: And it also makes sense, right? Because you already alluded to the fact that you want to procure as cheap as possible, right? Because companies want to earn money. And sustainability in general, but also human trafficking can be working against that, right? Where you have to move in a more high-cost country in order to avoid slavery. So it's, it's a predicament, essentially. And it's, it's hard to make that decision if you don't have uh, something to back you up on it as a company. It works against what you should achieve, which is more money, quicker, faster.
1: I probably disagree a little in that I don't Ooh. think it always needs us to move to a more developed country. I think what what's required are, are better systems and processes within the countries that we're looking to try and source. If the solution was always just to move to a, a more developed country, then it potentially abdicates the responsibility that we have over supply chains and our ability to bring change. Mm-hmm. What we would really love to see is in the countries where there are violations or where the systems and processes aren't being followed properly, that those companies would work with the developing countries to see change brought. And and you you know you give the example of moving to Portugal. I think we see a lot of nearshoring based on potential risks, and um, you know with wars or with climate issues or with with problems around sourcing of goods or services. We we see people making different decisions now. We would just say that it needs to be on the table when people are making a decision based on price, quality, time, delivery, that people are looking as well as saying, what are the human rights issues that we might have to contend with should we make a different decision? And what can we do? You know, some things are are problems to be solved, other things are tensions to be managed. What are the tensions that we need to manage and mitigate? based on the risk to this particular product or to this particular service in the country, which might be exposed to risks of exploitation and and labor trafficking.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's a good take. And it also maintains a balance between we want to help countries develop. At the same time, we also want to mitigate anything that might not work so well in these countries. Maybe there's a little less cost, but then... You have to manage it more. That would also be a that could be part of the trade-off, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd like you know the thought that you're managing your supply chain is something that that most businesses should want to have. You know, if you've got a supply chain that's almost not managed or held too lightly, then you could find yourself really exposed not just to this issue but to any issue that could come in. Some of the best supply chain managers I've found have a a sense of being agile with problems and systems that hit them on a daily basis, but they're also non-negotiables, things that they want to work towards. Sometimes they can't be achieved in a day or a week or a month, but they want to work to them over time to benefit the supply chain so that they leave a legacy within the supply chain management that they're doing.
0: In the end, supply chain management is a rather newer function, I would say, in companies to call it a holistic system that didn't happen for a long time. So the amount of visibility and management needed is not always given right now, right? And it still is developing. So it is a good vehicle for an overall change as well to make sure that these, I would say, more foundational and human rights issues that should be a no-brainer to people are addressed. I
1: think supply chain possibly in the past, if we go back a couple of hundred years ago, It might have been more of an art form. I think now supply chain is a science and and built into that science, we just need to make sure that there's no component of modern day slavery or human trafficking within it. And as we get better and understand more of what needs to be done, it's enabling supply chains to be slave free or to work towards having a slave free supply chain.
0: So we have talked about the complexity that it's hard to identify human slavery can data and analytics help that issue to really put more focus and highlight on certain pinpoints and then really start managing it?
1: Yeah, I think an essential part of the complex nature of trying to assess what risks you have has to be data. And because there's, the bigger the businesses, the bigger the amount of data, the only way you can resolve that is with technology-based solutions ones that can give visibility, multi-tier visibility and understanding to what the issues are. We work with major multinational companies on a regular basis and the departments that are dealing with supply chain are not really big enough to deal with the complexity of the data that they're they're having to address and deal with. You know, if you've got a company that has 70,000 first tier suppliers, you can only imagine how many multi-tier suppliers they're dealing with and you, you can't build a company big enough with enough staff to try and address those issues. So the benefit of where technology comes in is that it does give you that ability to look further and process that data and give you the indications that can lead you to make better decision-making. And that's all I think supply chain leaders want. They want to know what are the problems, what are my options, and what are the timescales I need to deal with this issue. So if they are presented with, hey, you've got a real risk in this specific area to do with modern day slavery, they want to know, is it a red risk? Is it an amber risk? Is this when do I need to make a decision? What do I need to do? So that's where I see the benefit of something like a technology solution alongside help and support from an organization like Slavery Alliance so that we can go, you now know you have a red risk. The system is showing you that. Let's look at a way in which we can try and deal with that and mitigate that risk.
0: Hope for Justice and the UK Slavery Act have a shared history, as you can also see on your homepage, and it makes a lot of sense. Now, did the Brexit make your work of ending slavery a little bit tougher? And if yes, how were you able to bridge the gaps?
1: Brexit in itself and the impact of it on the UK economy is still being felt. There are advantages to the ability to be able to sign kind of free trade agreements with different countries for the UK government but they're all also complexities of what Brexit has meant. So we've seen a real tightening of the labour force in the UK. That reduction in labour force creates a demand in business that then, because of that demand and the problem of not being able to supply the demand that exists for labour, it's now creating a black market that then is driving and fueling modern-day slavery. So where you have where you have situations where companies themselves can't find individuals even at minimum wage to fulfill the jobs that they need, they go to recruitment companies. And those recruitment companies, if they are doing the wrong thing, can look to try and recruit people who have no right or legal right to be in the country. And they can also kind of exploit the individuals themselves who find themselves vulnerable. New legislation that has coupled on top of that with. The Nationality and Borders Bill and the Illegal Migration Bill in the UK now make it that if a person finds themselves in the UK and they don't have the right status to be here, they're treated like a criminal. And that creates vulnerabilities that then exploiters can capitalise on. Brexit itself also has created a shift in the ecosystems of those companies where they're now looking to where they can source products and services in a different way. Sometimes the regulation now that they're having to achieve through working with Europe makes them look further afield to try and get products where they don't have the same like regulation applied or where they can get things quicker, more integrated through their supply chain. So, yeah, I would I would say on the whole, Brexit itself has created complexities that the areas that we're dealing with are trying to address and catch up with, but they are very impacting especially around labor and uh, where individuals are being brought in for exploitation.
0: A little bit of a sad story, unfortunately, but let's move to something else now, which is you are a passionate lifesaver trainer and educator and actually also won awards. So now I want to ask you, what is the similarity between life-saving trainings and your fight to end slavery?
1: Yeah. So... For anybody who's listening and doesn't know me I I grew up in Northern Ireland and uh, from quite a young age my parents allowed me to go to life-saving training every Saturday I was spending hours uh, on a Saturday morning in the swimming pool learning about risks and and how to get better at this I I got my uh, bronze medallion award of merit I got my examiner's award and I used to give the qualification to individuals who could then be working in in swimming pools and back in 96 I won the men's lifesaving championship. It was something I'm very passionate about at that time, and I I can see the the direct link. You know, I'm passionate about trying to make sure that individuals who are in vulnerable situations or need help and support, we can help them. And I see how that has you know transferred in every aspect of what I'm doing. If there's if there's a way in which I can use my life to help those people who are the lost, the least, the last, those people who who need help and support. I will help them. And in in a way, we're doing the same with Slave Freelance and Hope for Justice that I did when I was doing life saving. We're training. We're trying to help people be better at what they're doing. We're trying to encourage more people to be aware of what the problems and dangers and risks are. And we're trying to help people out of the circumstances that they're in. Maybe they find themselves in a swimming pool or they find themselves in a body of water and they, they need help and support we're trying to train people to throw the right ropes in in the right way, not put themselves at risk, but also try and find out what else we can do to stop other people falling in. So I see the direct link on it. And, you know, we say on everything that Hope for Justice itself as an organization, if we continue to keep building Hope for Justice, we can be a machine to try and see an end towards modern day slavery. But it only works if people play their part and not Get caught up in a a spasm of passion, but long obedience in the same direction to want to make a difference in people's
0: lives. That is a great segue to my last question. and It's a very simple one. Given all the great work you do, how can people support you?
1: Well, Hope for Justice has been built over the last 15 years because individuals have stepped up to help us with almost three things, time, treasure, and talent. Those people who can give time towards helping us with a gift and support of what they can do. Sometimes it's within their own business. They they might be the person to try and bring Slave Free Alliance to the company that they're a part of. Those people who, who might want to give up the funding and money that they have. You know, we, we say, you know, Hope for Justice hasn't been built off the back of people giving million pound donations. It's been built off the back of people giving small, regular amounts of money. Businesses giving to us, foundations giving to us. So we would always say, if, if you did win the lottery last night, don't fight the urge that you might have to give to us. But the reality is, it's just going to take people giving of what they have. So in this day and age, certainly with inflation where it is and, and kind of challenging to raise funds, I would encourage anyone to do all that they can to raise funds and give to us. So you could give of your time, you can give of your talent, but you can also given a way that you can help and support the movement of what we're looking to do. You can raise awareness across the area in which you're involved in. It might be the business that you're a part of. It might be your ability to help through a community group, your ability to, to raise awareness in by doing an, a, an event or a challenge. I've got a, a chap on our team, Aaron Robinson, who every day is running a marathon before work. And at the moment, um, I, within I think two weeks time, he'll be closing in on 300 consecutive days of doing a marathon every day before work. He broke the Guinness World Record at 80 days of doing consecutive marathons. So just to give you that kind of context, and I, I look at it and go, I've never run a marathon in my life. And I don't know if I my body would be up to it, but he's doing all that he can to try and raise awareness and to try and raise funds to, to make a bigger impact. So time, treasure, talent. Check out our website, hopeforjustice.org or slaveryalliance.org. Both of those will give you more information. By all means, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Love to hear from anybody that's looking for a way to get involved.
0: I want to just thank you so much for being on. It was a great honor. And yeah, it was a fun discussion. Thank you so much.
1: No, thank you so much. I I treat it as an absolute privilege to be with you. Really hope that everyone who's listening has enjoyed it. And if there's any way I can serve you in the future, please let me know.
0: Good. And with that, we say bye-bye and check out Hope for Justice, please, and donate. Bye-bye. This was Supply Chain Pioneers. Thanks for watching, listening, or however you are enjoying this podcast. You can find Supply Chain Pioneers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all other major podcast players, as well as on YouTube at Talk Supply Chain please don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. See you next time.